such an honor to be here with you guys. When uh, Pastor Phil called me and said, hey, I got actually Facebooked me and said, hey, I'm going to be away. I was like, oh man, what an honor to come down here and be with you guys. I love Pastor Phil and Tammy and their heart just to impact Hollywood and to impact the influencers that are making a difference and just an amazing teacher that you guys have here. You're all so blessed. So I know I'm trying to uh, fill in for some pretty big shoes this morning, but uh, bear with me. I'm excited to be there. Pastor Phil, Tammy, it's so good to hope you guys are having a great time. Blessings on you. We just wish them blessings. Blessings on them. Blessings, refresh, refreshment, blessings, everything good. And I just want to briefly share with you a little bit about my spiritual journey as we connect for the first time. I grew up in the Holy Land, uh, New Jersey, <laughs> where there happened to be more Jewish people than in Jerusalem. And uh, I grew up going to a conservative Jewish synagogue. At the age of 13, I had my bar mitzvah, became the son of the commandments, and being Jewish was important. had lost most of my family during the Holocaust on my mom's side. But uh, in eighth grade, I got, seventh grade, I got really into basketball, and that became my life. And the condensed version is, I got into high school, my varsity football coach was the JV basketball coach, and he said, if you don't play football, I'm going to bench you from playing basketball. He did it. Uh, he would sit me whenever I scored and treated me like a scrub. So we got into a fight one day, threw a basketball, basketball at his head from half court, and that ended my basketball career. I don't recommend it. <laughs> And uh, wound up, as a result of that, hanging out with a whole new group of friends, the high school DJ and drug dealer. So I started to become a DJ, sell drugs, dropped out of high school, joined a wannabe Filipino gang. <laughs> God's got a good sense of humor. It's true fusion there. And in the midst of all of this, God opened up an opportunity for me to work at one of the largest recording studios in New York City. And as I was working there and I looked at the lives of all these famous people, I said to myself, there has to be more to life than just this. They had fame and they had fortune, but there was clearly something missing. And so I began to seek God. And basically what happened is I became a Jew-boo. Do you guys know what a Jew-boo is? A Jewish Buddhist, a New Age Jew. I would go to synagogue on either Friday night or Saturday morning and study Eastern philosophy and religion. And one day I was like, Om, and I was meditating, and I was all spiritual, and uh, emptying myself, and, and as I was meditating, uh, my body began to vibrate, and literally, I, it, it, I could feel myself, something happening, and my soul left my body, and I could see myself sitting there, and the next thing I know, I was, I was standing in heaven, and before me was this king, Ram Venisa, high and lifted up on this great throne. And I didn't know much about Jesus as a Jewish boy, but I knew that was Jesus on that throne. And I could feel the presence and the power of God pulsating through my body as it was pulsating through heaven. And the next thing I know, Jesus says, I was called to serve him. I had no idea what it meant. The next thing I know, I was down in my body, jumping up and down. I'm called to serve him. I'm called to serve him. I'm like running around. My mom's like, you're called to serve who? I've got no clue here. But I didn't come to faith at that time because I thought like Jesus was an avatar. You know, I thought he was like some sort of God man. 
I mean, what do I know? You know, so a great prophet, a great teacher. Uh, my best friend John comes to faith and he says, Jason, I found the truth. He's like, what's that? He's like, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. But if you don't believe in him, you're going to go to hell. And in the end times, there's going to be this big beast with all these heads. They're going to eat people who don't believe. I was like, dude, you're Meshuggah. That's Yiddish for crazy. Uh, it sounds more like a Steven Spielberg movie. I don't know about this stuff. I had another spiritual experience, and then he invited me to this messianic congregation that was led by this rabbi, maybe some of you heard of him, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, the harbinger. And uh, at the end of the service, I, I, they were praying, and so I prayed. They said, if you prayed this prayer for the first time, raise your hand. I figured I didn't all the help I can get, so I prayed. I raised my hand. I said, if you raise your hand, you've just been born again. I had no idea what it meant to be born again, except nice Jewish boys don't get born again. <laughs> I gave my mother enough trouble when I was born once. God only knows what would happen if I'm this born again thing. And then on top of that, I'm thinking born again. Like I'm thinking right wing, televangelist, gun racks, moral majority, pickup trucks. I have no idea what, what this, this, this thing is. I'm a liberal Jewish boy from a liberal Jewish family in New Jersey. And this guy said, I saw you raise your hand. If you can't stand here for Yeshua, that's Jesus' Hebrew name, you won't be able to stand for him in the world. So I stood up. And because and, and, I realized we weren't going anywhere till I stood up, even though every eye was supposed to be closed and every. And I went to the back. They gave me the first New Testament I'd ever seen. I took it home. I hid it in my bedroom. God forbid my parents should ever find this. I just turned 20 at the time. My curiosity got the best of me. I read it. I was blown away how Jewish it was, the messianic prophecies, the promises, all that sort of stuff. And I gave my life to the Lord. And God instantly transformed me. God is good. My mom found the Bible. What is this that I found in your room? Don't tell me to become one of those Jews who believe in Jesus. I knew you'd do something like this one day and break my heart. Little Jewish guilt, you know, there's all motherly. Go meet with the rabbi. Go meet with the rabbi, that's a whole other story. And uh, during this time, I, during, this, during this, right when I came to faith, I get this call. I used to help homeless people in New York. And a friend of mine calls me. He says, Jason, his name was James. He says, I need to have, I was outside and sleeping outside, and I got frostbite and gangrene from my knees down, and the doctors tell me in the next couple of days they're going to amputate both my legs. That's hard enough being homeless, but homeless with no legs, that's really rough. And so I went into the hospital to visit him. I just read the book of Acts. I laid my hands on him. I said, silver and gold have I none, but I have in the name of Yeshua, Jesus, rise, take up your bed and walk. He got healed, he got saved, and he walked out of the hospital a year later. And, if I, and there was no doubt that he was real. The Lord was real. Wound up going to Bible college and seminary and studied some in yeshiva in Israel and eventually became a messianic rabbi and got married and married my wife Stephanie, who's a Jewish believer. And believe it or not, she came to faith driving the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. But that's a story for another time. <laughs> we have two wonderful kids, Avi and Judah, uh, who are eight and five, almost six. And, you know, what I love about that story and how it ties into what I want to share with you this morning is that God is in the business of transformation. You know, people like, like the movie Transformers, but Jesus is the ultimate transformer. 
And he, one of the things he loves is to touch us and to change us and to make us into something so much better. And I want to share with you this morning from one of my favorite passages, a message about Jesus, our transformer, or we could say water into wine. I want to read from you from a new translation called the TLV, the Tree of Life version, John chapter 2. This is a historical translation of the Bible that I've been involved in. The first, uh, since 2,000 years, since the first century, you know, you guys all know the first Bible is written by all Jewish people, right? This is the first modern translation written by Messianic Jewish rabbis and scholars. And so John chapter 2 says this, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and Yeshua's mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding, and the wine ran out. Yeshua, Jesus' mother, said to him, They don't have any wine. And he said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour hasn't come yet. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone pots, six stone jars used for the Jewish ritual of purification, each holding two to three measures. Yeshua said to them, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the top. Then he said to him, take some water out and give it to the head waiter. And they brought it. Now the head waiter did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the head waiter tasted the water that had come, that had become wine, and he calls the bridegroom, and he says to him, everyone, who br- everyone brings out the good wine first, and whenever they are drunk, then the worst. But you have reversed the good wine, reserved the good wine unto now. Yeshua did this, the first of the signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Friends, I believe we're in a season where God wants to bring breakthrough. He wants to bring blessing into our lives. He wants to transform you and I from water into wine. And I believe John chapter 2 is a powerful portrait of what God, what the Lord can do to our life when when we allow his hand to touch us, to shape us, to mold us, and to make us into what and who he has called and created us to be. And so we read here in John chapter 2, Jesus goes up to this party, he goes up to this wedding, he goes up to this celebration, and what day was it on? The third day. Now, friends, we know, right, every word of Scripture is there for a reason. God doesn't waste words. So if there's a word there, we got to understand why that word is there. Why does Jesus perform this miracle on the third day? What's so significant about the third day? The first thing we have to understand is that the third day of creation is the day that is doubly blessed. It's the only day in Scripture that God blesses twice. Genesis chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. Number two, it's not only a day of double blessing, it's also a day of, and because of that, many Jewish people get married on Tuesday nights. It's traditional. Also, it's a day of revelation, Exodus 19, verse 15. Then the Lord said to the people, prepare prepare yourselves for on the third day, I am going to come down on the mountain. So in the book of Exodus, when God brings Israel out of Egypt, he reveals his glory on Mount Sinai. On what day? The third day. So in the same way that Jesus reveals his glory on the third day, 
God revealed his glory on Sinai on the third day. And the third day is also a day of redemption, restoration, and resurrection. Hosea 6, 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. So we see this idea of a third day, a day of double blessing, a day of revelation, a day of restoration, and a day of resurrection. And so it makes sense that he would reveal his glory and do his miracle on the first day. And I believe historically, right now, we are in an important season in the Jewish calendar. On the Jewish calendar, we are in the year 5774. Can you say that? 5774. 70 is the number of the eyes. We're in the decade of the eyes. The four is also significant because the four is the number of elevation. As it says in Psalm 30, verse 2, I will exalt the Lord because he has lifted me up. The word for lifted me up is the same Hebrew word for the number four. And so we're in a season of elevation when God wants to lift us up. We're also in the season of the four is also the season of the door. And I believe we're in a season that God is opening doors that no man can shut. How many of you guys need some doors to open? So believe God for the doors to open in this season. Believe God for the miraculous, for what God is going to do. But to see the door open, to see the elevation and promotion come we have to understand this passage because it contains important spiritual truth. So we see that the wine has run out and Mary, you know, her Hebrew name is Miriam, comes to Yeshua, comes to Jesus, and he says, to her, listen, the wine's run out. You got to do something. And he's like, but mom, uh, you know, the time isn't yet. But here's the thing about Mary, what I love about her. Number one, she came in expectation. She expected that he was going to do something. When you have a problem, do you come to the Lord expecting that he is going to meet you in the midst of it? But what I love even more about it is that, guess what? She's not going to take no for an answer. You know, there's a special relationship between Jewish moms and their sons. You ever hear the, the proofs that Jesus was Jewish? He was 30 and single and living at home. He, he went to his father's profession his mother, you know, his, and, and his mother thought he was a king, or some say God. <laughs> Jewish moms think highly of their kids, like many of you. But there's a special bond, and she's, she's not going to take no for an answer. And she says, whatever he does, just obey. It's kind of like Nike, just do it. And friends, we have to understand the biblical pattern of blessing and promotion. If you believe and obey, you will be blessed. In the Garden of Eden, they disbelieved, they disobeyed, and they were dismissed from the presence and the blessings of God. Yeshua tells them, fill the stones to the brim. So if we want to see God move in our lives and we want to see transformation, we have to have faith and trust. Do you trust God to, to do something? Do you trust him to not take no for an answer? And I'll be honest with you, there is a difference between faith and trust. 
And one of the biggest reasons why we don't see God work more and do more is because many of us have faith, but we lack trust. Listen, there were 12 in the boat. Only one had the faith to walk into the water. There were 12 spies that were sent in the land. Only two had the faith and trust to believe that they could defeat the giants. Are you going to step? You have enough trust to step out of the boat. Do you have enough trust to face the giant and to believe God for the seemingly impossible because you can have faith without trust but not trust without faith and having faith without trust is trying to learn to swim while keeping one leg on the shore can't happen mary had faith she had trust but she also had this great other thing chutzpah can you say chutzpah Chutzpah. holy boldness and nerve And chutzpah, spiritual audacity, is one of the antithesis of fear. God wants us to move from fear to faith and faith to trust, but you gotta have some chutzpah. You gotta have some moxie. You gotta have some cojones to do something for God, (laughs) right? And Jesus is one of the greatest examples of chutzpah. The first public thing he does is he goes in the temple and starts overturning tables. Let me tell you, that's a little risky there. They didn't win popularity for doing that. And so if we're going to do great things for God, we cannot be passive, intimidated, fearful individuals. You can't be wallflowers and bench warmers. You got to have some chutzpah. God doesn't need a better version of what already exists. He needs you to do some things differently. We need to have the nerve to follow God and to walk with him if we're going to affect change. Listen, this name of this church is what? You're not going to have influence without chutzpah. What am I? Listen, do you guys know who Brett Ratner is? Famous Hollywood director, producer, became famous making music videos with Russell Simmons. 16 years old. He grew up in Miami. He dreamed of becoming a director and producer, dreamed of making it in the film industry, you know, instead of really, anytime he was given an assignment, he asked his professor if he could do a video presentation on it. Instead of really studying, he was hanging on, hanging out at sets like with, with Robert De Palma and Scarface. And so his grades weren't that good. And he applied at 16 to NYU Film School. It was his dream to go there. He gets the letter in the mail. He opens it up, rejected. Now, many of us would cry, we'd hang our heads, we'd get angry at God, but what does he do? He gets on a plane, he flies to New York City, and he somehow manages to barge his way into the dean's office and basically says, I'm not going to leave until you accept me into the film school. And the dean is so impressed by his husband of this 16-year-old kid, he becomes the youngest kid ever accepted into NYU, NYU film school. Amen, right? Come on. He becomes the 16th highest grossing producer at the box office. But you know what? What if he would have took no for an answer? What if Mary would have took no for an answer? What does this have to do from with me? Has everything to do with you. And you have to make a decision. Will you allow the no's? Will you allow the slam doors in your life to shut you down and to shut you out? Or will you see the door 
the shut door as a means to test your faith and to believe that God will open that door or another one and continue to move forward and to believe God in faith. Will you have the chutzpah? And it takes that chutzpah, it takes that faith to release the supernatural, miraculous power and blessing of God. You know, one, you know, one, I'll share the second half of my story in a bit, but one day I was at this church and, and I told my story about how God was doing some healing and I love praying for healing and it's after the service and a line forms for people to come forward and pray and the first person in the line is a high school girl on crutches with a brace on her leg and she tells me, I've been in an accident, I'm a cheerleader, I'm a dancer, I can barely walk, would you pray for me? And I'm like, Lord, does it really have to be the first one? Because like, if it doesn't work and you know, I, you know then it, it was, doesn't look good. I was like, can't you like have some internal injury that I could pray for? And we really, we won't really know if they got healed and we can just, no, I'm just joking. So, (laughs) you know, some of y'all think like that. So, so, so I'm like, all right, God, Lord. And I I went back to the, I said, give me faith. I prayed to myself, give me faith for this girl. And I said the same thing I prayed with my friend who needed his leg amputated, silver and gold have I none. And she's like, I, I feel something. She's like, let me take off my brace. And she, I'm on one side. She's like, get on one side. I mean, someone got on the other side. Of her. And she starts walking. The next thing I know, she starts dancing. And she starts running around the sanctuary. The Lord healed her. But let me, amen. Give God a hand. But I got to tell you, her faith provoked my faith. When Jesus says Luke 18:8, I tell you you will not you will not I, t- I tell you he will see that you they get justice and quickly however when the son of man comes will they find faith on the earth. He wants to know when he returns will he find faith? Where will our faith be when he returns? But another question we have to ask is why is this the first miracle that Jesus does. Of all the miracles, why is the turning into wine the first? Have you ever asked that question? It's important. I believe the Gospel of John wants to show Jesus as the greater than Moses. The one of whom Moses and the prophets spoke of. This is what Nathaniel said. We have, found, we have found the one Moses and the prophets spoke of. What's the first miracle Moses did? He turns the water into blood. But Jesus doesn't come to bring death. He comes to bring, that we might have it more abundantly, The thief comes to rob and kill and destroy. What's the sign of the life of the messianic kingdom? It's the what? It's the new wine. All throughout the scriptures, going back to Genesis 49, where it talks about the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. He will tie his donkey to the vine, to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Whether it's Amos 9.13, behold, the days are coming when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows, and the mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved. There's a number of passages that speaks about the new wine of the kingdom. So it makes sense that he is proclaiming and demonstrating himself as the king of creation, the king of Israel, the Messiah, the, the anointed king. He does the sign of the kingdom, the new wine. But did you ever ask, why six stone pots? I mean, obviously, if there's a number six stone pots, six is there for a reason. What day was man created on? Sixth day. 
And Jewish thought we fell on the sixth day. We lost six things as a result of that fall. Jesus is the greater second Adam, and he comes and he gives his life and he dies on what day? The sixth day. And as he gives his life, right, there's, there's, there's three hours of darkness. Why? Because there's three days of darkness on Egypt. Just like the first miracle was like the first miracle, the last miracles are the same. Three hours of darkness, three days of darkness in Egypt. And what's the tenth plague? The what? Death of the firstborn son. This is God's firstborn son, the Passover lamb, giving himself for us. But why does Jesus have to die on a cross? Did you ever ask that question? Sin entered the world how? We stole something off the tree that we couldn't fix. God put back on the tree to bring restitution and to bring restoration. Amen? He's hanging there on that cross, and what does he have on his hat? A what? Crown of? Well, what's the sign of the curse of creation? The ground will produce what? Thorns and thistles. He's taking on the curse to reverse it and bring back the blessing. Six letters in Hebrew, numbers in Hebrew are written with letters. It's alphanumeric. What's the letter six? It's the letter Vav. Can you say Vav? Vav. The first place Vav occurs is Genesis 1. Bereshit, Raelhim, Eta, Shemaim, Eta, Aretz. And God created the heavens, Vav, and earth. Vav is a conjunction. It's the number six. Vav is a letter that connects heaven and earth. When we sin, we broke the connection between heaven and earth. And God sent Jesus, Yeshua, to bring that restoration and to restore the kingdom that was lost in the very beginning. Isn't that powerful? I mean, God, it's every detail is there. We, it's, we should stand in awe and be wonder to search the scriptures and understand these things. And that's part of our passion at Fusion is that we want people to have a road to Emmaus experience where he opened up the scriptures and he showed how all of these things pointed to him. And their hearts burn within them. I want to share with you some quick applications. Number one, God takes the ordinary God loves to take the ordinary and turn it into something extraordinary. It's the power of new creation and of transformation. The oldest passed away and the new comes. Wine is ordinary, right? Back in the day, you didn't have to buy bottled water. It was all clean and all free. But wine was an expensive commodity. And he takes an ordinary thing and he takes it into something extraordinary. Look at Moses. Look at the apostles. God, when the hand of God touches us, something happens. But most set of people settle for ordinary instead of extraordinary. And I have a, my, my older son is Avi. My younger son is Judah. Judah loves his older brother, Avi. Whatever Avi does, Judah's going to do. Dad, this morning, Avi wanted to come with me in the car. Judah wanted to come too. Then Avi didn't want to come. He's like, Judah, do you want to come? He's like, is Avi coming? He's like, no. And he gave me all these reasons why he wasn't going to come. There was only one Avi wasn't coming. And so like when, Jude, when Avi was, Judah was little, Avi was, just learned how to swim. And he goes jumping into the pool and he starts swimming. Judah's like one and a half years old. He's got no idea how to swim, but guess what he does? He jumps in the pool because Avi does it. So I call him Judah Me Too because he's like, Daddy, Me Too, Me Too. Now let me tell you, at five and a half years old, being Me Too is cute. If he's 33 and a half years old, and he's like, Avi, me too, it's kind of scary. <laughs> he's never become his own person. 
That won't happen. But listen, some of us are me too type of people. He doesn't want you to be a me too person. He created you to be an original. He created you to be someone extraordinary, not to be a cheap imitation of someone or something else. To do what's never been done. There's no one else like you. Don't be an imitation because being an imitation is the surest way to lead to limitation in life. Imitation is limitation. God wants pioneer. Don't live somebody else's dream. That's the surest way to kill your own. Don't be who you're not. Be who he is. Be an original. Be a pioneer. Have the chutzpah. Have the boldness. Have the audacity to do what's never been done before. He is looking for ordinary people who he will allow to touch them and turn into something extraordinary to change the world. December 1st, 1955. Montgomery, Alabama, an ordinary day, an ordinary seamstress gets on a bus and a white man asks her to get up and to give him her seat. And she refuses. She gets arrested. She goes to prison. And this incident led to the formation of the Montgomery Improvement Association led by a young pastor from Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. His name was Martin Luther King. 382 days of boycott on the bus led to a Supreme Court decision that struck down the Montgomery ordinances that said blacks and whites had to have separate seats on the bus. One ordinary woman chose to do something extraordinary. She took a stand by taking a seat and she began a movement in this nation that we still benefit from this day. An ordinary day, an ordinary person. God could use you in that way if you'll let him. Number two, God, God is extravagant in his blessings. Six stone pots. Each one of those pots held 20 to 30 gallons of wine. That's 120 to 180 gallons. That's a lot of wine at the end of a party. <laughs> Listen, God doesn't give meager blessings. He's not stingy. Fill it to the what? brim. Don't live out of the lack, live out of the overflow. Stop doubting like Thomas and believe. What I love about Jesus is that he, he, he's different because he sees differently. He doesn't treat us how we deserve. He treats us better than we deserve. He's a seer. On the surface, it seems he chose a ragtag bunch of individuals, no known person, not educated, fishermen, blue class individuals. When you look at it, he seems not so wise. One's a hater, Judas. One's a doubter, Thomas. One's a denier, Peter. But he sees something in them that they can't even see in themselves. And he takes these individuals and he uses them to change the world. Listen, when you look at it, grapes are not very expensive in the grocery store. Well, they're getting a little high. But, but, uh, but, but think about it. Is grape, is, is grape as valuable as wine? But how do you make wine? The grape has to go through a crushing process. Stamped underfoot like in the I Love Lucy back in the day, the grape crushing you have to go through the crushing. You have to go through the smashing. The grape contains an inner essence, an inner potential, but it's not readily seen on the surface. There's a process to bring the promise to pass, the true value to pass. 
And Jesus loves to take our potentiality and turn it into actuality in an extravagant and abundant and amazing way. God can meet more than your needs. And what I love about the miracle, too, is that the wine that he transforms is that part of the miracle, think about this, it's new old wine. The wine is brand new, but it tastes old. It's the fusing of the new and the old together. New, new wine is not as good as old wine. An old, old wine is not as good as a new old wine that Jesus produces. And I believe it's an allusion to what Jesus says, what can a scribe who understands the kingdom of God be compared to like a householder that brings forth both new and old treasures? Some of us have settled for half an inheritance. We need the old and the new to come together. This is the fullness. Jew and Gentile, roots and shoots, creative and traditional, young and old, rich and poor. This models the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And I believe in this day, God is bringing Jew and Gentile and uniting him, them and restoring the Jewish roots of the faith because God's presence, power, and provision is always proportional to the union of his people. Amen? Yeah. Unified, they could build a tower to heaven in Babel. God has to confuse their languages. Don't settle for half an inheritance. Don't settle for less. And part of what I love here is that it's part of the new old wine too, especially for you guys who are new in a new field or a new profession or young, God can take things that are new and make them seem old. God can give you wisdom and maturity, gift and talents beyond your years with the touch of his hand. A supernatural maturation. And finally, the Lord saves the best for last. They said most people save you know, the good wine until everyone gets a little shicker. That's Hebrew for drunk, and then they, bring the, then, they, they, then they bring the bad stuff, but they reversed it. And I believe part of the lesson is that God is saving the best for last. No matter how good it's been, God has something better. It says we, we go from glory to, not more glory to less glory. The glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the former. God never decreases. He always wants to increase with us. And so no matter where you are, no matter what you've seen, no matter where you are in life, God has something amazing. The best is being saved for last. Don't ever doubt that. No matter if you've been through the pits and the prisons and the challenges, believe God for the more because he has it for you. Yitzhak Perlman is one of the world's greatest violinists. He contracted polio at the age of four, and ever since, he had to wear metal braces if you've ever seen him walk onto the stage. And one evening, he gave an amazing performance, and in the middle of his performance, one of the strings on his violin broke. And everyone thought that the concert was going to have to stop for him to restring his violin. He changed the pitch, he modulated in his head, and he performed the concert on three strings. And afterwards, some reporters asked him, they said, you know, how is it possible? And he says, I'm a musician, and part of my responsibility is to make music with what remains. 
You know, some of us might feel like, you know what, in our life we've been only given three strings. Some of us might feel like we've been only given two strings. And how is it going to be possible for us to make something beautiful with the symphony of our life? And everyone knew that when Yitzhak Perlman said that, he wasn't talking about the three strings of his violin. They knew he was talking about the fact that he struggled with this terrible disease all of his life, and yet he transcended it to become one of the best classical musicians in the world. How often do we face lesser obstacles than that, and yet in the midst of the pain and the loss, we think it's done, we think it's over, we think there's nothing good that can come out of this, and yet the best is saved for last. Our responsibility with the grace and the power of God is to transcend the loss. It's to transcend the obstacles and the barriers and the hurts and the pains. And the reality is, it's the pains and the problems that are the means to our promotion and our transformation. It's like the... The butterfly breaking out of the cocoon, it's only the struggle that gives it the strength to be able to fly once it's free. It strengthens us, it changes us, it transforms us. And friends, we're living in an unprecedented time in history. All you have to do is look at what's going on in Israel in the Middle East. Look what's going on in the Ukraine. Look what's going on in our nation to know that we're seeing the words of Jesus, prophecy fulfilled before our eyes. And yeah, there's some tough stuff out there, but you know what? It's in the midst of the darkness that we have the opportunity to be the greatest light. It's in the midst of the messed up world that's broken and disjointed and disconnected that we have the opportunity to come with God's shalom. We carry, you carry the blessing, nothing missing, nothing broken. And so part of what we're, I'm so excited to have, to have been here with you today and just want to close in prayer because we, we believe that God is going to use people like you, influence church to impact this region, to impact this city, that there is the greatest revival the world has ever known and it's about to occur. Amen. The greatest catch. But let me tell you what the Lord wants to give us so we can see a John 2, a John 21 moment. We have to unite nets. We have to fuse our nets. No one's net is big enough or strong enough to contain what God wants to bring. The threefold cord isn't broken. Jew and Gentile united together young and old, rich and poor, creative and traditional, when we come together, we create a net for the catch that's coming, and it's going to be so much better than we can imagine. And Yeshua revealed his glory during that miracle. And the greatest miracle that we will ever see is the unity of God's people that leads to the transformation and redemption of nations. So God, we just thank you for this day. I thank you for everyone that's here. And I am just asking in Yeshua Jesus' name 
that there are those here that they feel like they're like that pot that's empty. They feel like there's nothing left. They feel emotionally, physically, spiritually drained to the dregs. And I'm asking right now that you would come and fill them to the brim in Jesus' name. I'm asking that you would come and fill to overflowing. I ask God for everyone here that struggles and says, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing, what can I do? You are touching them right now and you are in the process of changing them from something ordinary to something extraordinary right now in this moment if we have the faith to believe and not take no for an answer to bring the provision, to bring the blessing. And we say, we declare right now, declare with me in faith, we believe for Influence Church. We believe for Pastor Phil and Tammy. We believe for Anaheim. We believe for, we believe for Southern California. We believe for the whole of California and this nation. We believe, God, for Israel. We believe that the best is being saved for last, that those who say America is done with, that the sun has set, we say, the best has yet to come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.